your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDOcast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me here in studio is my good buddy, Satya Shah. Sat, what's going on, man? Yo, Dimitri, I'm good, man. Excited to be on your show. This time, you know, I got to say, it's cool that we're doing it in studio here. Yes. And it's a more professional setting. I do miss us doing it over a, over a beer, though. The podcast. Yeah, at it's, the WeWork yeah. last year. Yeah. 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 Well, <laughs> you, you, you make your annual appearance here in the PDOcast now that we're officially coworkers. I feel like we can make this a more regular occurrence. 100%. I'm down with um, it. Because I always love chatting with you, and, and it's awesome. Unfortunately, it feels like every time we get together, it's like under the most somber circumstances <laughs> where we're just like... I know. All right, here we go again. But that really is the case right now. I know. I mean, to some extent, you could probably just replay the conversations from a few years ago. Yeah, just slightly different names, but same themes. Probably the same thing. So coming into the year, there I think it's safe to say there were elevated expectations for this Canucks group that they'd be competing for a playoff spot. Um, You know, thanks in large part. They had a spirited effort down Mm -hmm. the stretch last year after Bruce Boudreau took over. They were 32, 15, and 10, which was 11th best point percentage, and what I always say to people is I, you know, everyone talks a big game, especially in the off season. It's mm-hmm. like, all right, you know, we're going to be better this year. Uh, we have high expectations, high goals for this group. So I always say you got to look at the actions rather than the words. Right. Right. And you and I were talking before we went on air. I think it was pretty clear to me watching, just judging what the Canucks did this off season mm-hmm. that I think internally, they, they definitely had expectations to be competing for a playoff spot this season. 100%, 100%. Right. Like otherwise you don't go and you spend $19 million dollars, mm-hmm on a luxury item like yeah. Ilya Mikheyev, you don't uh, you don't prioritize committing future capital into JT Miller, yeah. who's going to be 30 years old here, unless you think it's going to mean something in yeah. the present. You're, that's not a move you're making for four years down the road. Um, so it was pretty clear to me based on that that they thought fairly highly of themselves. We're two weeks into the season. Yeah. And it feels like all of that optimism has just dissipated immediately. Yeah, well, I mean, it's the same cast of characters having the same problems early in the season. And people are just sick and tired of watching the same movie early in the season. Coming in with hope, and next thing you know, why are we underachieving? And it's the same thing again. And, and it's your best players underachieving, the team looking you know, discombobulated. And you know, we always talk about, can this team be greater than the sum of its parts? They've been lesser than the sum of their parts. You know, and that's pretty astonishing to say about this team the last little while with how they've played, especially this, the start of the season. I mean, they shouldn't be 0-5-2 to start the season. You know what I mean? Like, but they play that poorly. Yes. They look really bad. Their systems and their, I mean, their process has been horrible. I mean, there's nothing you can really point to as a team play and say, hey, they're doing this well outside of getting you know, a few leads they haven't been able to hold on to. But they absolutely had an expectation to make the playoffs. And I think part of what they really were hoping for was be competitive this year, mm-hmm. buy yourself a year, and then maybe do more next year. But hey, but you can at least sell the hope of last year and right. get people excited and and maybe you buy yourself enough time to do some more things and that's already blown up in their face so the calculation they made about you know we can get through this year and maybe we make the playoffs and we get people excited and it gives us some time to maybe do do, do, do some other things when the clock started ticking right away instead of buying yourself to the end of the season well when you and i spoke last it was like right towards the end of the travis green era right and it felt like yeah Everything was so doom and gloom. And then Bruce Boudreaux comes in and we got Bruce. There it is. It feels like everyone is, there was just like a, a sense of a sort of relief. They're like, all right, like it's fun. Hockey's fun again. Right. Yeah. And I think there was a certain like high attached to that where it was like, all right, we want to like channel that and have more of that moving forward. Even if it doesn't mean competing for a Stanley cup, at least give people in the market something to like latch onto and be excited about for the future. And so I, I think teams can get into trouble when, they're trying to walk that tightrope yeah. of like doing both things or keeping an eye on the future and not closing that door while also trying to like yeah. 
be competitive in the moment. And it seems like that's what they've unfortunately stumbled into here a little bit. It, it, they kind of have it. I think what you mentioned stumbling into it was is, is probably what happened more than anything. Because I think that the desire was there to do more this offseason. Mm. I mean, everybody's, they've said it themselves. Rutherford's admitted it. Alvin has admitted it as well, that they want to do more with the defense. They couldn't. They try to make more trades. I mean, I've mentioned this before, but I've heard there was at least one instance where they felt they had a good trade and then no, they couldn't get the player to wave and right. move and stuff like that. That stuff has gotten in their way. But ultimately, you have to find solutions. Yes. Your job in the National Hockey League, whether you're a player, a coach, or manager, is get results. That's yeah. what you have to do. And you have to find a way to, to solve what's going on. It's only been 10 months on the job. But the fact that you're pressed up against it right away and people already asking questions. And it's fair to ask when you've made $100 million of future commitments in one offseason, yeah. you got skin in the game right. as a management team. So it's fair to ask, do you, how much do you believe in this team? And honestly, if they could have found a way to move, say, OEL, I think they would have done it. If yeah. they could have found a way to move to, say, a, another higher paid forward, like even Besser, had they got an offer they felt good about, they, they could have made. The calculation they made was, let's just re-sign them, let's hold on, and maybe the value changes and you can trade them later. And it's only seven games in. Right. But I think already it looks like maybe you made the wrong call on these guys. Maybe you can't trade these guys. And the same questions are arising again. Okay, let's go through those seven games. I'm going to set the scene here for those scoring at home. 0-5-2, minus 13 goal differential. Blue multi-goal leads in each of the first four games, I believe. Mm-hmm. The home opener on Saturday felt incredibly hopeless, yeah. especially as the game went along. Uh, he got embarrassed by a yeah. 5-1 score. It was categorical embarrassment to the point where fans threw jerseys on the ice mm-hmm. after the game or towards the end of the game. And the most recent game in the, against the Hurricanes, though, admittedly a far superior team who was playing game five of a five-game road trip. Uh, they go into that third period tied at one. Yeah. Within 90 seconds, they give up two goals. Yeah. In the first 10 minutes of that period, they registered one shot on, shot on goal themselves. And I think they had three for by the end of it in the final 20. And it really felt like against that Hurricanes forecheck, like they couldn't even get the puck oh. up to center ice for large periods of time. No it was it was dire. Yeah. So what we're going to do here today is over the next hour, hopefully talk about kind of what's gone wrong specifically and then what the next move should be. So where do you, where do you want to start this conversation? I'll, I'll give it to you as, as the, because uh, you're, you're talking about this team on a daily basis. Yeah, well, let, let's start with the blowing leads. Okay. Let's start with the process of getting those leads because there's been a lot of talk about, hey, we're doing a lot of good things to get those leads and we played really well. And there are times, you know, you can look at the process and, and say it's been okay. But the thing that had me concerned, and I want to get your thoughts on this, especially when you go back and rewatch these right. games, were they even full credit for those leads half the time? And how did those leads come to be? You could actually make the case they got lucky with some of those leads. Yeah. And that's why it wasn't so easy to just say, hey, they'll win a bunch of games coming out of this because they're due for victories now. If anything, you can say, this is how bad seasons happen, where the games you're supposed to win, you don't win. Yeah. And then the luck runs out and then you double lose. You know what I mean? Like you, yes. it doesn't get made up for you. You know, like it, you know, as much as we talk about regression happening. The world's indifferent. It doesn't owe you anything. Usually yes. it bounces back, but if a few things go wrong and you don't take advantage of what should be the bounce back or what is preceding the dip, then you've kind of fallen that issue. And, and I had some concerns about those first four games, Dimitri, that the process was not as good as people made it out to be. And if they continue doing what they're doing, it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to win games. Well, I think all of this ties together. So, so, so follow me for this for this yes. journey I'm going to take you on, right? Because typically we, we separate offense and defense from each other. They're yeah. happening at different ends, of the, different ends of the ice. But for me, like watching those first four or five games, 
Uh, I believe Quinn Hughes played all the way up until the Minnesota game, and then he's missed the, the, the most recent couple of games. Yes. The sheer workload he had on his shoulders, both in terms of ice time, where mm-hmm. he was playing over 27 minutes a night, and in terms of it felt like he single-handedly needed to move the puck up the ice because if he wasn't, no one else would. Yes. It's impossible to play that way consistently and successfully in today's game. Such a priority is placed on that transition component mm-hmm. of it. And so when you have a team like the Canucks where all of a sudden, okay, if it's not Quinn Hughes, it's not going to be Luke Shen. Yeah. It's not going to be Tucker Pullman who's in the lineup. It's not going to be Kyle Burroughs. It's not going to be any of these guys. Jack Rathbone's given them a bit of juice yeah. in that regard since he got into the lineup, but he has his own flaws. When that's happening, all of a sudden, there's an, an added emphasis on the forwards to all mm-hmm. of a sudden come back deeper in their zone yes. and have to do it themselves, come back. And when you can't play the type of game where the forwards can fly out of the zone and expect to get a pass consistently and they have to keep coming back for it, you can't play offensively that way in today's game because the other team is going to get back in position, establish their forecheck, and grind you down. And that's kind of what we're seeing. So I know the Canucks have scored some goals, mm-hmm. but for the expectations I had for this team, acknowledging all their faults, I thought they'd be so much more lethal offensively. And it's been a grind, especially a five-on-five watching them create. And I think that's in large part yeah. because without Hughes in the lineup, especially if they don't have anyone that can consistently get the puck from point A to point B out of their own zone. And that's absolutely true. And the other part about that too is how Oliver Ekman-Larsen has struggled mightily this season in terms of trying to get the puck up. And at least he provided some of that last year. Yes. That has really been absence from him. And you start wondering what that is, why that why that is, and how concerning that is. And we'll get to that. But you know, to your point about how much deeper the forwards are coming back. There's so much effort just to get out of your own zone and get zone entries that you're almost exhausted getting into the offensive zone in terms of trying to get set up and get the cycle going. And you see it. it it's you see other teams, they string passes together, they, they get offensive momentum, they have you know, they have zone time. The Canucks are just trying to get one and done, trying to get in, create a chance, maybe create chaos and maybe that leads to a goal or a bounce. That that sustained pressure just doesn't happen. It's just so much pressure on your forwards coming back to create that. And that I kind of wonder. As much as we heard Alvin today say the systems aren't the sa- are the same, I don't know if they are. Because right. last year there was more quick ups, a lot more fifty fifty pucks. Throw it up and at least let your forward skate off, skate yep. off for fifty fifties. Maybe they win them, and it's not a sustainable way to win long term and be a contender. But when you're having this much trouble getting out of your own zone, maybe that is the best way you can do things. And you go back to the beginning of last year, the Canucks also had a lot of trouble because they were trying to be more controlled in how they came out of their own zone, yes. more controlled about how they get set up in the next zone, and they just didn't have the capabilities. And they got worse. They play worse when they try to play that way, which makes which begs the question, what's the best way to play with this group? Maybe you can play. You can't play the style that management wants in terms of having the structure you need and having the breakouts the way you want. Maybe these guys can't do that. But here's the problem. It's a double-edged sword. When you have a blue line with so many issues, um, I agree with you. I think they'd be more successful if they were throwing the puck up for those 50-50s and trying to kind of embrace the chaos of what a hockey game can devolve into. But when that happens, you have to trust your blue liners in terms of their foot speed to deal with what's coming back at them the other way when you lose those 50-50 battles. And this looks like a team that's very uncomfortable doing so and honestly looking at the depth chart understandably so for sure and so then when you try to insulate yourself that way you're making yourself even worse offensively and it's kind of like bleeding yourself dry in a way yeah it's, it's hard to come to the solution it's it's all imperfect yeah right it's it's finding the least imperfect one to find a way find a way to win and and i guess the big elephant in the room around all this too is thatcher demko is not bailing them out mm. you know last year at least demko was bailing them out a lot of nights and you know he's making credible saves and he's made a lot of good saves yeah. but he's not overcoming his environment when when he was overcoming that environment last year, I want to make, I want to defend Thatcher Demko. Not that you were you were uh, insulting him, but right. I have seen and listen. Like according to Evolving Hockey, 
his minus 5.9 goal save above expected is the worst in the league out of any regular goalie, right? He's got mm-hmm. an 876 save yeah. percentage. These are numbers that are unfamiliar territory for a goalie that's been so rock solid throughout his Correct. NHL career and someone we have expectations for to overcome that environment. I'm I'm not buying those numbers in terms of them being reflective of his play. I think there's like a an element of accumulation here mm-hmm. where when you're giving up the degree of chances that they constantly are, there's like a degrading effect on a, on, on a goalie and that might not be being captured by the by the numbers because for me, I look at it, he's faced 56 high danger shots again so far. Yeah. That's third most out of any goalie. The two goalies that have faced more are Karel Vimelka yeah. for the Coyotes and James Reimer for the Sharks. And those are arguably the two worst teams in the NHL. Yeah. Um, he has a 9-13-5-1-5 save percentage, which is ahead of Vasilevsky, Gibson, Soros, yeah. Kemper. Like, a lot of goals against on the penalty kill. I guess you could say your goalie should be your best penalty killer, but we know that yeah. that's kind of more random and more fluctuating. And so a lot of poor multiple efforts in front of him. I, yeah. A lot of bad luck. Like, so, like some of oh, those goals, sure. like the, the Jesper Fast one, one goes oh, yeah. off his leg yeah. and in, right? Um, I, I think even the, the first goal, which is such a backbreaker of the third period against the Canes, where... Speaking of OEL, Seth Jarvis makes him look like he's yeah. basically not even on the ice, goes to the net, and then there's no second defensive effort mm-hmm. to to stop a tap in for Aho after that, right? And yeah. and that's for a goalie, it's like what you make the first save, you kind of need a bit of help after that. For sure. And so I guess you could argue that okay, if Demko was playing at peak Demko performance, it would be papering over a lot of these flaws. But I think that would be such a temporary band-aid to kind of mask a lot of these issues. And maybe the organization in a weird way is better off in this regard because they can't delude themselves into thinking everything's okay because he's got a 925 save percentage. Yeah, you know what? And, and in- interestingly enough, Alvin has a lot of times said, we have a great goalie. We won because of our goaltender. Even last year when talking about Boudreaux and talking about, you know, how do you guys play as a team? He said, well, we have a goalie that masks a lot of our problems. So I know he at least is aware of it, but you're right. Now it becomes even more obvious about the environment is just not sustainable and it's not cohesive. And yep. it, it can't be something you can win with moving forward unless you make bigger and wider changes. And to your point on Demko, and you're so right about especially when looking at the available shot metrics and uh, where the shots come from, they don't account for the degree of that high danger chance, right? And talking to um, Kevin Woodley and looking at some of the numbers that he has from ClearSight's analytics, he's actually made the point like you're making. It's not just that they're giving up more chances. These these are like grade A chances they're giving up. And I don't care who's in that. It's going going to cause a lot of problems. He's also said... Even with all that, Demko's not at the level you would expect yeah. him to be, but he's still above average. And that's the point. You're, you're right. I mean, he's still above average. Yeah. The numbers look horrible because the environment is really bad around him. And unless he's playing at a superhuman level, the team's not going to win games right now. And that's, I don't care how good your goaltender is. That's not sustainable. Even Vasilevsky, you put him into a situation like that over 82 games, it's probably not going to look pretty on a lot of nights. Well, and this team has my least favorite statistical profile from a shot perspective that I like, that I see, where... <laughs> In terms of raw shot attempts and five on five share, they're 18th. So they're middle of the pack. Yeah. Oh, it's a pretty good team. 49%. They're, they're inching towards 50. But then you sort by shots that are actually making it on goal. They're down to 21st. Then you go on high danger chances. They're down to 25th. And so it's like, as the puck is getting closer to the net and more likely to actually wind up in the back of your net, they're getting worse and worse, both yeah. offensively and defensively. And that's that's a massive red flag that's kind of just flying off the page every time I look at their profile. Yeah, and, and where a lot of those shots are coming from. Yeah. You know, and it's it's pretty, it's astonishing how similar it looks to the start of last season. 
a lot of same things, you know, like they, their shot totals were all right. You know, volume was okay, but weren't generating anything, giving up a lot, but not generating a lot. And you could sit there and say, hey, we're out shooting teams, but what does that mean when you're not generating a single pro- proper scoring chance? I guess the only difference between now and last year is they haven't won a few games because through seven games, you know, last year they, they had, there were three, three, and one. Yeah. But Elias Patterson looks like a different player. But outside of that, like, I, I went and watched a couple of games from last year. They look eerily the same, yeah. you know, and it's not the same coach either. Yeah. And I just don't know what the solution is to try to play differently unless you just say, you know, like you said, play some, you know, 50-50s or whatever and, and just pray to God that your defense doesn't get exposed too much. Well, these have been a rough 15 or 16 minutes for Canucks fans right now. So let's give them a little silver lining because you, you, you mentioned Elias Pedersen there. Yeah. I was just on with our pals, Jamie Dodd and, and Thomas Drans before this, and, and I was kind of hinting at this. So I want to get into a bit more because I want to know what mm-hmm. Elias Pedersen's off-season workout regimen was because yeah. I want to go on it. Maybe I'll wait till uh, my New Year's resolution <laughs> to finally start it. But he looks so much stronger out there. Yeah. I, I think you can tell his shot rate is, is back up, which means signals to me that he's feeling much more confident in his wrist health. And that kind of started towards the second half of last year. But in terms of some of these battles where he's like one-on-one beating Tage Thompson along the boards mm-hmm. and winning puck possession of that uh, against the Canes, he was going in and threw a massive body check off the, off the forecheck. Um, so you're seeing like the the offensive element of it where he's creating so many chances for Kuzmenko, Pukos, yeah. and whoever he's playing with, but also off the puck as well, how much stronger he's become. And this is the player that we always, we saw like throughout the start of his career, flashes of it. Now he's putting it all together. And so, you know, we don't have many results to show for it because his team is losing and everything around him has been so miserable, but that does feel like on a consistent night to night basis, his performance and his line's performance has been the one thing you keep coming back to as a sense of hope of, okay, at least we have this blue chipper who is is overcoming his environment. Yeah, he really is. And, you know, to your point about how strong he is, yeah. he, 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 I mean, he showed some of the videos and, and posts about how much he's working out and those deadlifts and all that. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's all great. And it's funny, though, because fans still look at the number of times he falls over. And they're like, oh, he's not strong. Mm. But if you go back and watch, he's winning so many puck battles. Yeah. And he's generating so much off the physicality that he has. And, you know, I think because of his build, like he, he's kind of narrow and long, guys like that tip over. Sometimes yeah. that's going to happen. Yeah, the wind blows. Yeah, you yeah, you know, that's going to happen once in a while. Yeah. But you still get in and win a lot of puck battle. And the amount of offense he generates from defense, which you mentioned earlier, it's not just about playing offense and defense. A lot of this is tied together. You create offense from your transition game, which starts from how you get out of your own zone. And his ability to generate offense from defense has been great. I mean, if, if there's one center, one player who does benefit from maybe trying to help the breakout, it has been Elias Patterson. It has. I mean, his numbers are through the roof. He's basically the only yeah. Canucks skater so far where if you look at it, all of his 5-on-5 metrics are great. He's a point of game. His shot rate is up, as I said. Uh, Kuzmenko, who he's played with a ton, is top mm-hmm. 10 in terms of high-danger chances himself, and pretty yeah. much most of those are Elias Pettersson kind of serving it up on a silver platter for him. So there's a lot to like there and a lot to build around. But, yeah, beyond that, I mean, we can talk about JT Miller here. We can talk about some of the other forwards that we expected more from, but there hasn't been much to bank on. And when you have just that one line operating that way, it's much easier to defend. Oh, far far easier to defend. And, you know, has had Kuzmenko taken advantage of more opportunities? Yeah, maybe. It had Hoaglander. Yeah. Oh, maybe it is, but as far as the raw numbers are concerned, I mean, Patterson's had a good start to the season. Yep. But I think what it shows is if you can play at this level, Dimitri, what's the what's the potential? What 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 type of product, production can we expect from this player? I mean, he's already got three goals and four assists in seven games. Yeah. I think he, he's... He could easily have 10, 10 assists at this point based on what he set up. So, I mean, you know, people wonder what is his ceiling. Yeah. We didn't see it, you know, last year. Right. We, you know, we saw towards the end with how well he played. And I think every, every wonders what that is. 
if he could play this way, I mean, this is a hundred point player. Like he's he has that capability. Yep. With the defensive element as well. I mean, yeah. I like what I've seen on, on the penalty kill, everything. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be the this is going to be the few minutes of silver lining right. that, that, that we give to Mike's fans. And, and 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 I you know I met, I highlighted him before the season. The players player I was excited to watch because um, he rounded so much back into that form we'd fallen in love yeah. with in the second half of last year, and he's carried that over, which is very exciting to see. But yeah, beyond that, I mean, I don't know. Do you want to talk about JT Miller right now? We like, will. Like... W- one question I have for okay. you on, on uh, Elias Patterson. Give it to me. The cap's going to go up maybe four million next yes. year. Yes. What are we looking at? I mean, because people are wondering, you know, that's going to be eleven million plus, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, assuming points. health, assuming the wrist issues are behind him, and he yeah. plays this way, yeah, this guy's limit. Especially you're seeing some of these contracts roll in for yeah. forward, young forwards. I mean, he must be just licking his lips seeing every one of them because, yeah, I, I I'd say definitely in the double double digit range. Yeah. Probably around 11-ish, I'd, I'd guess. I'd say so, too. I mean, depends. I mean, if the cap goes up even more and he has one more big year in weights, yeah. could you imagine? Well, Dylan Larkin's the be- next domino to fall in yeah. that regard in terms exactly. of kind of like a young leader for his team. And I wonder if with the cap going up $4 million next year and he has one more year left on his deal, and then let's say the cap goes up. This is being you know very optimistic. But right. Let's say it goes up another 3 or $4 million. It's going to reset the entire market as far as the contracts we're looking at. I mean, the percentage of the cap an extra $9 million on top of the cap now. It will. I, 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 I mean, I don't know if he's going to get 12 or 13, but I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very curious to see how big these numbers are going to get in a hurry within a year or two. Yeah, but a thought process like that enables this organization, which they've done for years. Yes. It's like, oh, well, listen, we can make all these investments because oh, the cap's going to go up oh, every year. I'm just and... talking about Pedersen, yeah, how much yeah, he's going to get yeah, paid. Yeah. That's all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, yeah, well, I, I, I saw some of that with the JT Miller contract as well, where it was like, oh, yeah, well, he's making this percentage of the cap now, but four years from now like it's gonna be peanuts compared to it's like okay what what type of player is he gonna look like in four years no that that's the bigger question you can't yeah. worry i mean with, with patterson you don't worry about it of course as much yeah because of his age his yeah. age is yeah. gonna he's gonna play it out and, and whatever it is but that number might be more eye-popping than people expect maybe in a year or so but you know on jt miller there there aren't a lot there isn't a lot you can take from his game that's redeeming outside of just the sheer production points he puts up yeah yeah Especially, I mean, this year, last year, you could make the same argument, but there was more to his game. Yeah. But the power play is terrible. I mean, one thing you could say about him was he a catalyst on the power play, real right. solid producer there. With with that not being the case, it's like, what edge are you bringing outside of just, you know, scoring some points, which is good, but obviously not leading to any victories. Yeah. Well, a lot's been made of, of the defensive effort. And listen, I don't think this is anything new. I, I've, I've been longstanding this opinion of He's a player who's benefited from his reputation, I think, a little bit, mm-hmm. where for whatever reason he's thought of as, oh, this this gritty two-way center who's a leader yeah. and who, like, you know, puts the team on his back. And, and I always thought that was a strange sort of narrative to be peddling on what type of player he is when you actually watch him play. Mm-hmm. Highly skilled player, yeah. produces a lot, was eating up a ton of minutes for the Canucks, but flawed, mm-hmm. the effort especially off the puck, is highly questionable at yes. times. Especially for a guy playing center. If he's on the wing, it's a, it's, you can live with and, some of it. And we've seen players with yeah. with less attitude issues that you can see manifesting themselves on the ice get questioned much more than we have yeah. JT Miller, Because, right? I mean, you, you score enough points. It's almost like the Bertuzzi thing. Right. You, you score enough, people don't worry about it. But as soon as the production goes down, people yeah. will turn on you. So, oh, you're sulking. And you're yeah, sulking. Yeah. You're not scoring enough points. What's going on? And, you know, when, when Bert went from being, you know, a 40-goal guy to a 20-some-goal guy, you know, the the reputation, the reaction was a lot different. And I think the same thing for JT here. He is a highly flawed player. And ultimately, you can't rely on him being a center long-term. No. You know, like he can do it for the time being you can play him in spots and all that sort of stuff but 
his profile, his two-way profile, doesn't fit a center. And he's going to have to change his game dramatically and improve dramatically for him to be an effective centerman. Because right now, a lot of the issues happen from him. And I know he's not always in the wrong spot, but it's more about your instincts as well, yeah. where you put your stick, which which lanes you decide to take, and, and how you decide decide to pursue the puck. And a lot of times, yeah, he's maybe in the right spot, but you're not doing anything just standing there. Sat with him on the ice. High danger chances are 17 to 5. That's for Canucks opponents. Very bad. He has a sub thirty expected goal shirt. It's not good. It's, it's very bad. Very bad. I think the criticism of his play has been has been warranted. Yes, absolutely. Um, okay, let's take a quick break here, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to have more talk about the Canucks with Sat Shaw here on the Hockey PDO Cast on the Sportsnet Radio Network. We're here on the pod on the Hockey PDO Cast with my pal Sat. Uh, Sat, let's keep the conversation going. So. I think an important um, topic for us to hit on here is this idea that seems to be peddled right now by Canucks management that rebuilds take a long time. Mm-hmm. This market doesn't have the appetite or patience for it. And so that's kind of dictating a lot of these yeah. moves on it, or the urgency, I should say, in terms of, all right, we're not willing to just mm-hmm. completely trade every single player that's about to enter their 30s. Yeah. I mean, there's so many holes we can poke in that, but for me, just hearing that, it's just complete utter nonsense because, first off, I think it's disrespecting the fan base here a little bit that has gone through the past decade of Canucks hockey mm-hmm. where they have a sub since 2013. Yeah. They are 26th in point percentage. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if this isn't rebuilding, I don't know what is. They've just unfortunately fallen backwards into it as opposed to doing it uh, with an actual plan in place. But... I know there's certainly going to be fans that if they see kind of like a shell lineup where it's like, mm-hmm. all right, we're clearly not trying to win what the Coyotes are doing this this, this year, for example. Yeah, they're going to, they might tune out. But guess what? Those fans are going to come back when, the, when there's reason to cheer for again or the reason to watch mm-hmm. the team again, which will happen if you do it the right way. As opposed to that, you have this alternative, which is not really giving those fans anything to cheer for but also sacrificing the future. Well, and what you've done is you've already taxed all their hope. You've already you've already used all the credit you can use in selling them the hope with this core and these young guys. And again, you're running into the same things. And I'm with you. I, I, sure, there are fans that aren't going to like it, but of course there is an appetite for it now. I mean, the first home game of the season, doing the post-game show, the number of messages I got on the post-game show from people at the game saying they're longtime season ticket holders and they're sick of watching the same thing. And it was it was eight years culminating to that one game. Right. And I know it's a different management team, but it was a lot of the same things that came up. So that's what I think why fans were so triggered after that opening night game and how they reacted. But a lot of fans, and they're saying, listen, I, I don't leave games early. I couldn't stand being here tonight. And I, they need a rebuild. I, I can't come back to the same thing year in and year out again. You can't expect me to buy into the same thing year in and year out. So the appetite's there. It all comes down to one thing. Does ownership want to do it or not? That's right. the only question I have, Dimitri, because it, it's bogus to say the fans won't do it. You can sell a plan to the fans. It doesn't have to take that long. You have some building blocks. If you want to take that road, you can do it and sell it to the fans. The question comes down to, does management want to do it? And would ownership even greenlight it? Well, I think most people what they've wanted this entire time and what they still want and what they haven't received is an organization that has not only a coherent plan in place Mm -hmm. for what it's trying to accomplish, but then actions that actually follow that up and show us that we're taking this plan seriously, right? It's a lot of stop and start, a lot of two steps forward, three steps back. And you're right. I mean, it seems clearly guided by the fact that they're desperate to hold on to these fans that might leave if you 
acknowledge that you're fully rebuilding and you're fully tearing it down. But to me, like you look at the Kings, for example, they won the cup in 2014. Mm -hmm. They didn't really start trading anything away or fully rebuilding until January 2019 when they first traded Jake Muzzin to the Leafs, I believe, and then you know came to Foley to the Canucks, Martinez to yeah. the Golden Knights, uh, Jack Campbell as well to the Leafs again. And what they did in the process in basically a three-year span is accumulate a ton of draft capital, make the most of it by drafting incredibly mm -hmm. well, and keeping their financial books clear so that they could jump on uh, Victor Arvidsson when the expansion draft came. Philip Deno when he needed a new contract, Kevin Fiala this past offseason. And not that they're, you know, this remarkable team now that is going to win a Stanley Cup this year, mm -hmm. but I think inarguably it's a team that's not only better now, but has a significantly better future. And they started later than this current group. Well, you know, and it does take, you can't just tear it all down in, in a week or two weeks or even one year. It takes some time to move some guys out. But you have to start that process. And you can they can say, hey, listen, we moved out Dickinson, but you gave something up to move him out. We moved out Hamannick. Fair enough, you got something back. So, so you moved a couple of guys out, you can say. Wait, wait, wait. But, they but, were the ones giving away the pick for Jason Dickinson. Well, for sure, that's what I'm saying. No, I agree, I agree. <laughs> okay, right, but right, right. I agree. Okay, like, they, they gave the pick as yeah, well. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, you know, yes. they get rid, but they had to yeah. give a pick to get rid of Dickinson. So they have shed some salary, but they haven't made a single tough decision. You know, the toughest decision they've made was recommitting to players. Yes. So I think... They can say all the things about we want to do things, and it comes back to what you mentioned. Because they've said, yeah, we want to move more guys. We want to clear money. We haven't been able to do so. We have the desire to do it. But your actions have been the opposite. It's been to extend guys. It's been to add players to the core. So the actions don't align with what you're saying. But I do think there is a desire. So, I mean, how different? How much differently would we, would we be looking at it had they, say, traded Besser this offseason? One guy was gone. Right. You know? Well, it depends on what the trade was for. For sure. Like but if I think, it was for John Marino, well, I mean, it probably would have made this team better. What, yeah. But let's say it was a futures deal okay, like people yeah. want. Let's say it was, they traded Bassett for a second round pick. Right. Even they're struggling now, people would be like, you know what? Hey, hey, they traded Bassett. They made a tough decision. You know, they trade that guy. Yeah. Let's see what happens. Clearly, they have an idea of trying to rebuild. But because that one signature move hasn't happened, it's hard for them to sell. We are trying to move, guys. We are trying to do this. Because it comes off as... No, you're just doubling down and you're adding players. Why should I believe you actually have the guts to go out and, and trade a Besser or tr trade a Bo Horvat, you know? Yep. And they said themselves, we have to make tough decisions and we're going to have to make a decision or two that fans won't like in terms of subtracting from the roster. That hasn't happened yet. No. You know? And the longer that it takes for that to happen and the more you lose, it's fair to ask wait, like, are you actually trying to do this or not? But I do believe from what I've heard, and I trust the people I talk to on this, that there's a real desire here to move guys out and do more. They weren't able to do so, and they're hoping they can do so more over the course of this, you know, season and this offseason. But the trust, it comes back to, like, how do you trust that they will actually will do it? And fans have concerns, Dimitri, that they start winning games again, get back in the run again. Are are they really going to make the moves you need to make? Well, I think that's the that's the big question here. Is it are you making moves for the sake of trying to salvage this yeah. current season? Uh, we're seven games in. There's 75 more to go. Yes. Uh, I think we're both in agreement that this team's not going to go winless. They're better than they've shown. Yes. Demko's going to start making more saves. They'll start scoring more goals. Like all of that's going to happen. And but the I, the concern for me. Uh, if I were a Canucks fan, would be we're going to win just enough games not mm -hmm. to get a high draft pick again yeah. while also deluding ourselves in a weird way organizationally that, oh, you know, if we enter next offseason and add one more one more player, all of a sudden we could be a playoff team. And it's like that that's the absolute worst way to look at the situation. Can you see the forest for the trees? You yeah. know what I mean? Can you do that? And if they can, I think 
you still make a tough decision. And I think the biggest indicator of that's going to be Bo Horvat here, Dimitri, you know, because a decision has to come. And I don't know how he is the ho- the captain, and I know a lot of fans would be happy if they kept him, but it's hard to sell we're going to be different seven more years beyond this to JT Miller, another seven years, say, to Bo Horvat, you know? I don't know if you can do that, you know, and, and sell this again. And even if you're on a run, that's going to be the big question. Because if you make that trade, no matter what, then it shows, okay, you have a plan. You have a real idea what you want to do. And you're not going to be gift, be fooled by the, the bounce back, which is going to happen. Yes. I mean, this team this team shouldn't be a sub-80 point team, no. which means they're going to win more games than they lose at some point this season and yep. go on a run. And that's going to happen. It's going to frustrate people. It's going to excite some people, but it's going to frustrate a lot of people as well. You can't get fooled by that. And to me, that's going to be the biggest test here, that when you do have the bounce back, do you still have the guts to make the move you need to make? Because the easiest thing to do is double down on what you already have. Yeah. Well, so Bo turns 28 this spring. Yes. I think based on everyone you talk to, it's pretty clear. I mean, this isn't unique to him, but it certainly seems to be coming from within his own voice that Mm -hmm. he wants to play competitive hockey. Yes. Um, I think part of the logic used to be well, he's the captain. He likes it here, so he'll take less to stay here. At this point, I don't understand why he would do that to himself. Yeah. And so if he's going to take what someone would probably, if he's going to opt for what someone would give him on the open market, which is significantly more than he probably should be making for this Canucks team, mm-hmm. then I don't know how you can reconcile giving him that if you're the Canucks in the current position they're in. And that's that's a very tricky. You're talking about making a hard decision. Yeah. That's going to be a tough one. But he's also a player. I, I like Bo Horvath a lot. Similar to what we're talking about, JT Miller, I think a bit miscast in the sense that he's, he's not, thought of as yeah. this defensive stalwart, wins mm-hmm. a tons of draws, like he can play at both ends of the ice, and he's an incredibly skilled player who has been miscast on this Canucks team because of their lack of depth. And so, if someone wants to pay full dollar on the trade market for what that's idea of what Bo Horvat is, and I'm sure he would look great on a better team that could insulate him in that way. Yes, sign yeah. me up for that if I'm running the Canucks. Well, it's funny because he's. Um, He's not him and JT are not the same player. They're different, but they're probably probably t- two players you can say would be most effective as wingers who can win draws. Yep. You know, as far as profile and what they can do really really well. Now, I mean, JT is more of a playmaker than Bo is. Bo and it, the, going through his numbers, especially his you know points per sixty numbers for his career, it's astonishing how static they are. Yep. It, it, no matter who his line mates are, good ones, bad ones, it's pretty standard what he produces. There's some ups and downs, but you know maybe in a good year it's kind of you know the projections would be, would be over five uh, five on five points over sixty minutes, maybe fifty some, and a high year would be sixty some. So right. that would be the variance. But it kind of shows you the range pretty much stays the same. So he's not a guy who makes his wingers better or makes his line mates better. And creates a lot better or with better line it's all of a sudden is going to explode into this yeah. you know grit big score it's kind of limited to what he's going to do so with that being the case how do you commit to him then the other thing you mentioned why would he want to commit to being here after all the losing and they're not going to give him all the money he wants and the other part of it is you went and paid jt just from a you know person to person right. feeling in a room like does he feel a little slighted about how this whole thing is going and they're not really offering him a much they, got, they took a care of jt heading into the season he hasn't had his money paid yet. Does he get to a point when he says, I have a number I want? You give me that number? Okay, I'll stay. But otherwise, I'm not going to. And I don't think th- that number is going to align for both parties. Yeah. What's that? This is a franchise that over the past three years has made six, six, and five draft picks. Mm-hmm. Now, you start off with seven. <laughs> yes. So 
I mean, I think that's a pretty clear sign of where you would start with this thing. We we're just talking about what what the Kings did, for example, what yeah. a team would do. Like, I don't understand how you could approach a situation without making every move about how do we change this and how do we increase our chances of getting impact players yeah. that are young and cost controlled, especially when you have Elias Pettersson, whose performance we just marveled at, Quinn Hughes, who you know was wearing down towards the end of that five-game stretch because of the workload on mm-hmm. him, but is clearly an impact player that you can build your blue line around. Thatcher Demko, who's under contract at a yeah. great deal that we're really high on and is in the prime of his career. like These are foundational building blocks, but hockey is a team sport, and you need so much more than that yeah. for that to matter. And so you have the difficult pieces in place, and I, I think the problem is they've identified that and gone, all right, well, we got this. Now let's pay all these other kind of superfluous parts around them that are luxury items when in reality they should have been taking the long view all along and being like these players are in their mm-hmm. early to mid-20s. Three, four years from now, how can we put them in a best position to succeed? Well, exactly. Now you're in a position where all your guys have to get paid premium dollars. Yeah. You know, you can't pay everybody premium dollars and they haven't accomplished enough. I mean, you had a choice between JT and Bo, I think. You know, and the organization has made its choice and we'll see if they find a way to keep Bo as well. You could have made a case for either one because... Neither, as much as they're important players to the team, aren't exactly the foundational building blocks that you want to really build your team around. That's Quinn, that's Patterson, that's Thatcher Demko. Those are the guys that you really want to build around. Everybody else has to fit in money-wise in yep. a way that makes sense. And had you, say, not spent as much on the superfluous, superfluous players you're talking about that aren't providing next to anything to the roster, mm-hmm. maybe you could look say, you know what, let's just give both seven or eight He's our guy. Let's just make it work. We can do that. But now you can. You've backed yourself into a corner where even the guys you might feel like, okay, we can pay a little extra to keep because it's worth keeping. You can't. You yep. simply can't. Like They have no margin for error to hand out any more contracts at this point. So that's why a tough decision decision really has to happen somewhere. And if it doesn't, you're going to be stuck in the same position. Yeah, man. That is that is a frustrating thought to, <laughs> to think about. But yeah, I mean, here we are. What, what was it? Two years ago now where if they just showed any ounce of patience, they would have been off $12 million. You know, Instead, they reinvested it. And- for sure. But but again, it comes down, Dimitri, to uh, this is like, okay, right now, I know people have been getting mad at me because I'm like, no, ownership's not forcing them to sign JT Miller. That's what I've heard, at least. That's not what's going on. But ownership has always been kind of the big issue over everything in terms of right. big picture. The meddling, yeah. And what we're trying to do, yes. And usually it's like hands off for a few years, but eventually can't help yourself. You want to get involved and things really start to devolve from that point on. We're not there yet, I don't think. But if you want to go back two years, the best example of it was, had you made the changes next this past offseason, when it was so clear with, it, with how the year went and everything, that had you just made a clean break, there would be no pressure to go out and trade for all OEL and Garland. Right. But when you come back with the same management team and say, you guys got to be better next year, you got to make the playoffs. And now the core, after not investing in them, are wondering, what are you guys going to do? Do you guys believe in winning? Do you have ambition or not? So you try to show them that you have ambition with the same group. So you go out and make an aggressive move and you go and spend all your money. Well, it goes to not having the stomach to do what you need to do. Because had they just taken their hands off the wheel and said, you know what, let's make the change today. Travis, you're gone. Jim, you're gone. I know I didn't give you guys the money you wanted during the pandemic year, but you know what? Things change. We got it. We got a clean slate here. And had you done that, we'd be sitting here right now with more cap space with the team, a top 10 pick, and you could sell the players on, we have a new management team here. We have a new coach. 
I know you guys are wondering about ambition, but we have a plan in place. Be patient. We're going to work this out. You could have sold that to the players, but you couldn't sell that vision of be patient with Jim Benning as the president, I mean, as a GM still behind, you know, right. running the whole operation. And this goes back to having the stomach to do what needs to be done to allow the team to be successful. Well, you know, to to, to quote the the wise Brian Windhorst here, why why would the Jazz do this? Why would the Cubs do this? That when, when the J- Jason Dickinson trade came through, yeah, I mean, it's pretty clear why they did that to save a couple bucks. Um, that that's that's an alarming reality for an organization that has I understand the pandemic hit us yeah. all really hard they were you know pretty openly cutting costs where they could yeah. divesting mm-hmm. in resources and so to build a successful organization you need to invest as much as you can into it yeah and so that that would be an alarming thing when you see a move like that where it's pretty clear they especially what am I just saying they've spe- they've, they've had five six six draft picks the past three years yeah and they're trading a future second to save what, 1.5 and then 1.9 million in the next year? Yeah, so they, they save about 3.5 in cash, Yeah. which if they end up buying out Riley Stillman, ends up actually saving them almost 5 million in cash okay. coming up this offseason. And it would give them about, if they buy out Stillman, they pretty much had, get 3.5 million in cap space. So they okay. go 2.5 million in cap space. Right. So they get cap space. But the dollar you know savings are notable because yes. you see how it stands out. And you know the team had come out and said, we don't want to move draft picks to get off salary. And then they end up moving a draft pick to get off salary. And I know they were up against the cap, but you wonder about those tri- types of trades. Like, how important was that for the organization? Yeah. Um, what, what, else, what else here on the Canucks do you want to get to? We've got another, like, 10 minutes or so. Um, I, I think we've hit on a lot of the key topics. I don't know. I, I've seen this idea that, and I think Darren Dreger flew it, flew it out yesterday, and when he says something like that, it's clearly coming from someone. He's not right. just saying, making that up. Yeah. This idea that they consider changing coaches or that that's one option. Okay, you know what? We, you know, we didn't touch on the coaching thing at all, and I think it's... it's, it's well, we touched on it a little bit when we, we were did. talking about like the, the puck hunting. and yeah. For sure, but I mean in terms of how Bruce fits in okay, sure. with yeah. that management team and everything, because I think it's pretty evident he's not really their guy. Hmm. You know, it's clear it was an ownership hire, even though, you know, Rutherford signed up on it, signed off on it, and Rutherford admitted on Hockey Night in Canada on the weekend that he thought that Boudreaux was going to sign a one-year deal. That was his understanding, and then he found out it was an, it was a one plus an option year. So that was interesting that he mentioned that, and that maybe he had said to ownership, "I'm cool with Boudreaux for a year," and then ownership ends up giving him an option year, and it's like, okay, now we're forced to bring this guy back. And he had the good 57 game run. It kind of came off as if we were in for if we didn't have that extra year, maybe we don't bring him back, or maybe we have our own view on it, or whatever it is. And when the other thing that they always talk, they kept talking about is they want to they want to be better with how they play and they want to have an identity with how they play. It doesn't look like Bruce fits with what they want to do. Well, what's that? What's that identity? Playing fast. They want to play fast. They yeah. want to play more structures. What they talk about, and I, and I think they are. Even though Alvin today said the system looks the same, I don't buy it because the breakouts are different, man. You watch it too. Yeah. You see it. You see how how much lower the forwards are and how much they're trying to help out. Yeah. So I don't think they're trying to play the same system. But when the, when the GM says they're trying, yeah, it's pretty much the same thing. It means they're not impressed with what they're seeing. They weren't happy with the habits during preseason and, and during training camp, and they're not really giving him this huge endorsement. The, I don't I don't think you should get fired because it's not his fault why this team is where it's at. But it's it seems evident based on what they're saying and how they're acting that he's not their guy. I mean, listen. There's clear personnel limitations and roster construction flaws, yes. here, right? And I think it's so much more deeply rooted than any coach. And they've had tough injuries to navigate at the start of the season. What I would say to that is 
that's an unfortunate reality for everyone. It's part mm-hmm. of the game. It yeah. happens. It happened to kind of come in, in in a string for them at the start of the year. But if you're already in such shambles, trying to patch it up and make it work, one two weeks into the season, to me that signals not only like a lack of depth in your organization, which speaks to those draft picks and the lack of mm-hmm. usable players in the system, but how poorly prepared you were for the season that this is already happening. You know yeah. what I mean? Like. Look, a team like the Penguins, who are going to be in, in in town this week, we always talk about them as no matter what happens, even removing Crosby and Malkin at times for extended stretches, they're just able to basically plug and play someone from Wilkesbury. They come in, Mark Donk yeah. all of a sudden scores thirty goals, right? Exactly. Buzz, Buzz Flibbit already scores twenty five <laughs> goals. That's a good organization. That's a, yeah. that's a, from a drafting, from a development perspective, from a preparation perspective. And so I, I have no time for injuries like. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you remove a top defenseman from any team, they're going to look yeah. worse. But the fact that you're relying on Jack Rathbone all of a sudden to this degree or that you have no one else in place that can move the puck, that's not a Quinn Hughes injury problem. That's a that's an organizational problem. That's, yeah, and, and, and even as much as we can look at this management team and say they didn't address the defense enough, they've also only been on the job for a year. And the, the sins of Jim Benning and the lack of prospects and young players coming up that there's a lot of gaps to fill and it's going to take time to fill those gaps. The question does come down to how much, how far you go to to address filling those gaps because they won't fill by themselves and, and hoping that they're going to fill and hoping that you're going to hit on your draft picks that you have. That's a hope. That's not a plan. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because what do all the best teams have in common that draft? Well, yeah, they pick a lot. Yeah. You know, that, yeah. yeah, there's some outliers as many kicks there. the can as you can get. Exactly. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. And unless you accumulate more, it's going to be hard to fill that gap. And, we can talk about going to sign free agents, but if you're not developing enough players, Guillaume Brisebois shouldn't be playing his 11th game in the NHL. He was drafted mm-hmm. was in 2015 or whatever, right. whatever it was. Yeah, the, the, this is a guy that you know you know should be at this point had he developed properly, should have been playing every day for your team. Instead, he's number 10, 11 on your depth chart, and he's playing a couple games for you. You don't have those guys you developed, and that's what you have to really start building into this this group as well. And you really see it in years like this. I mean, how many you see the free agent defensemen that are depth defensemen? None of them are really good, yeah. right? The two-way guys I sign, the two-way contracts. No. You're not going to win signing those guys. Well, and that's why I, I really push back on the idea of this organization not wanting to make a panic move now because I think it's it's long past time to panic in terms of some yeah. of these underlying issues, right? Yeah. And not, not panicking in terms of the seven-game sample, but panicking in terms of what this seven-game sample has shown us For sure. in terms of the underlying issues. Exactly. And, and the question is, does management see it? You know, do they see the flaws, or are they going to, you know, fall for the same, you know, uh, fallacies? Well, I think that it's a lot easier before. to see it when you're 05 and two. It is exactly, and, and and honestly, like I've been saying, I've been maintaining all along. I haven't been as critical with management because I think I think they do see it. I think their biggest fault has been an inability to do the things they want to do. And I think, hey, again, like you can you can say all the right things, have the best plan. You have to execute your plan. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't take them. Uh, it doesn't um, excuse anything or whatever it is. But you got to get stuff done, yeah. you know? And ultimately, unless you make some tough decisions, how are you going to eventually supplement things? Well, the clock is ticking, and we're going to see if that plan is in place. Sat, where can people check you out? When can they check you out? Because you're talking about this team full-time. <laughs> I'm, I'm just kind of helicoptering in to, to talk about Although I will say, I don't know if I mentioned it, I woke up this morning to watch all seven games, and, and it's it's been a day for me. So yeah, it's been a day. You've I, had a I, lot I've, of Canucks. I've had Canucks overload, but I'll let you, <laughs> you um, kind of plug some stuff here. Thanks, man. Yeah, as always, on Canucks Central well, with Dan Riccio, 4 to 6, on Sportsnet 650. You can always find it on any of your favorite podcatchers. And hey, always on the post-game show, and uh, usually 
intermissions on regional broadcasts on TV. I always laugh when uh, I look at your Twitter feed and then after another loss, you're like, how would you, how would you describe <laughs> this? this? What are your thoughts on this? This what? one, I know. Uh, those, um, it's brave of you to open yourself up to that. Listen, uh, the post-game show, I always present a question after every game. Yeah. I've been doing it now for ever since I've been doing the post-game show. It's it's the same it's the same answers over the over Well, it the is past frustrating because yeah, yeah, we've done the we've done the show three times now in three separate years. Yeah, and it feels like the tenor has been the exact same. The themes have been the exact. Same. The names have been slightly different, but same old, same old. Yeah, the, the people in charge have changed, and and I think we should give some time to see if the people in charge can can do the things. But when you see the same things occur again, uh, you know people are. Are running thin on trust and patience. Yeah, I think it's understandable, honestly. Yeah. Um, all right, Sat, this is a blast. We will uh, we'll have you on again this season for sure. We won't wait till next year. Love uh, it. Thank you to everyone for listening to the PDO cast. If you enjoyed it, you can help us out by uh, leaving a five-star review wherever you listen to the show. And we'll be back tomorrow with more. So thank you for listening to the Hockey PDO cast on the Sportsnet Radio Network.